My name is Maya Middlestadt and I'm here with Janet Wikes and we're going to talk about recidivism rates in prison. Sounds good. And do you want to give a little kind of what you do, what uh, makes you qualified? Well, <laughs> um, I am a social worker. I also have a master's degree in human development and family studies. I worked in the Stanley Correctional Institution for three years as a social worker. Um, I primarily worked with uh, mentally ill adults on a mental health units, uh, but I also did programming through the prison system. And I currently work with uh, treatment court, so I work kind of on the other end um, for people who are in the criminal justice system, who are out in our community and um, trying to change their lives. So I've kind of done a little bit of both sides. Awesome. And then from just working with your previous experience with Stanley, have you seen a lot of recidivism in there? There was a lot, although we had in the prison system, um, a lot of the people were there for longer sentences. Mm. So there wasn't necessarily like the open, like where I saw a lot of open door where people were coming back through. However, I had a lot of conversations where um, the offender had said, this is my 10th, 12th, 14th whatever stay in prison i've done this a bunch of different times um so it was uh it, it almost feels like a lifestyle at that point that they're just so used to it mm -hmm. um and prisons tend to be it's pretty easy to be in prison um you really the things that you have to do are stand up for count four times a day um that's about it you don't really have to do anything else you can lay around watch tv um that kind of thing. So I think people get very accustomed to that kind of easy lifestyle in mm -hmm. there. Um, the other side of that is um, the the gentlemen that were coming through a lot of times had um, lifestyles when they were out in the community that were very risky, um, selling drugs, prostitution, um, anything like that. And for them to go back out with a felony charge, try and find a job where it's almost impossible to find a job, uh, with a felony on your record um, and they were used to a lot of the guys I worked with were used to making thousands of dollars a day and to say okay you have a felony you can really only work at like McDonald's for seven dollars an hour um, while they said while they were with us yeah I can do that it'll be fine you know as soon as they got back out it was it's it's hard to pay the bills it's hard to pay child support it's hard to take care of yourself um, and it would kind of They'd rotate, and and most of the people there knew that that was kind of the case, and that they'd be coming back eventually, and mm -hmm. um, just sort of, uh, it was just part of it was kind of normal at that point. And what was the security level of Stanley? Uh, Stanley is a medium security prison, um, so it is kind of medium. It's a medium. It's in the <laughs> middle. Um, so in Wisconsin, we have a maximum security prison. We have a. Um, which, but there's a supermax, which is completely locked down. Mm -hmm. There's like very little movement. There's a max prison, mediums, um, I can't remember if they call them low, and then there's um, camps. And the camps are, they, they literally look like summer camp, mm -hmm. where there's screen doors and people are milling about. Those are actually the inmates that drive, they drive state vans, they do okay. yard work at other prisons. So like the Chippewa prison, um, inmates actually drove over from Chippewa in the state van without staff, drove over and did all of the outside yard work, or they did all the outside cleaning, they did all that stuff. So it's it's very interesting. So it sounds like the low, quote unquote, security are kind of almost like halfway houses? Correct. It's sort of, 
in in the in the Department of Corrections eyes, what people should do is kind of that step down. Mm-hmm. So you start at a higher level, and then as you kind of work your way out um, to one of the lower ones or to one of the camps. Um, doesn't always happen. Depends on what time you have and behaviors and stuff like that. But that's ultimately what it is. So it is sort of that transition. Um, not necessarily like a real life transition sort mm-hmm. of thing because you're still in custody. You're still there's a lot of restrictions, right. a lot of movement, that kind of thing. So, right. And then, so with all the being able, to, if you have longer sentencing, to step yep. down to hopefully the low kind of summer campy, yep. yet prison environment. Does that is it kind of successful? Does it help lower? Um. I don't know that it does, to be very honest. Okay. Um, I mean, I think it's like anything else. Ultimately, somebody wants to make a change, they're going to make a change. Right. Um, you know, in the prison system, there is a lot of um, programming and a lot of cognitive behavioral stuff and um, trying to help them make different different decisions, change how they're doing things. Um you know, ultimately, it's when they get back on the community. Are they gonna Are they gonna try and actually do that? It you know, it all just kind of depends on that person. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there is some value to them being in a lesser restrictive setting where they are able to do a little bit more because that is more like the real world. Um, but I don't know if that sets them up long term. To be right. honest, um, some of the some of the the camps that are um. There's some north of here. I think there's McNaughton. Is it north? Like that? I think that's north. I think that's and they by work... Manitowoc or something like that. Okay. There's a couple, There's a two up north. I can never remember which are which. Um, but they actually have a lot of the the offenders will work at like Jenny O' Turkey okay. or Jack Slinks is up there too. So mm. they actually, uh, I think that does help set, set them up for a little bit more success because they can hold those jobs while they're in prison. Okay. And then a lot of guys will stay up there and continue to work. Or that you can say, hey, I, I worked at Genial for a year. So other employers may be more willing to hire them. So I think it does. In the lower restricted ones, they can go out in the community a little bit more. Okay. So I think it helps them. Yeah. And then you had mentioned the programming, how there's like the cognitive, what other? So at Stanley, what we had for programming, we had an anger management program, um, there was a domestic abuse program, um, thinking for a change. What else did we do? Um, they added a sex offender group because um, there were only a few prisons that actually offered sex offender tr- or treatment. Um, so they did add that right before I left. Um, and then we had a reentry program, but they started pulling away about six months before I left. Um, inmates were offered programming based on their compass assessment. Are you familiar with Compass? I'm not, no. Okay. So compass is, the compass assessment is a Department of Corrections um, system. And what it does is it, it's, um, there's a lot of static questions. So age of first arrest, how many times have you been arrested, how many times have you been incarcerated, a lot of that, but then also a lot of questions that the inmate themselves want to answer. And it gives you a risk level. So your risk level is either low, medium, or high. Um, And the programs that were given to the inmates were looking at what are those high-risk things. If we don't intervene, if we don't give you new skills um, with a high risk or a moderate risk, you're probably going to re-offend. 
Um, so we'd look at those and go, okay, well, what programs do they qualify for? Most of them qualified for um, Thinking for a Change, which is uh, it's a cognitive-based program, basically going – it's the, the jail system you stop and think, it's very similar. So basically, like, s- acknowledging, because you see a lot of guys who say, well, I wasn't thinking. Well, right. you were thinking. Mm-hmm. You just um, – so it's really stopping those thoughts and going, okay, what thoughts did I, that I had before I committed this offense? And you actually work through their um, – an offense that they're willing to talk about in a group setting. Um, so we did a lot of that. I did a lot of thinking for a change um, while I was there. I probably did. I think I, I think I was always in group because um, I really liked the program. I liked the curriculum. Um, so it was two female social workers with twelve gentlemen mm-hmm. in a room in a small room teaching. Hopefully not <laughs> making anybody too cranky. Um, but we actually had a really good time, and you could tell some of them. Um, were going through it to go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were going through it. They actually wanted to learn. Oh, I should say this. In, in prison, I don't, most people don't know this, so inmates are actually paid to exist in prison as long as they're just, they're doing kind of what they're supposed to do. So like I said, okay. they really all they have to do is stand for count four, four times a day. If they are off, so they get four cents an hour. Um, that allows them to buy like stamps, envelopes, um, that kind of stuff. If it has been identified that somebody needs programming. So I say, hey, you need to go to Thinking for a Change. And um, you go, then you get program pay, which I think was like 10 cents an hour the whole time you're in the program. So okay. for like, I think it's three months. So for three months, you're getting then 10 cents an hour to do that. If you refuse to go, you say, absolutely not, I'm not going to do it. Um, they change your status and you don't get paid for that whole time that you should be in group. So it was there was some incentive for people to go because you would stop making money at that point. Um, so there, I mean, there was a little bit of buy-in because most people wanted to get paid. I mean, again, it's not a lot of money, but it's mm-hmm. still more money than not getting any money at all for three months. Um, so there was, I mean, a little bit of a buy-in for most people. Most people go kind of cranky. Yes, I'm going to go. Um, and then you just hope that you gave them something different, something maybe that they could use going forward. Right. Did you, do you think that you encountered some people trying to kind of fake through their compass to be labeled as high risk for that? Um, I don't, I think the compass, the way it's set up is I don't know that you could, they have questions and there's a, there's a bunch of questions. Um, there's, questions in there to catch if you're trying to cheat okay um and most of the, most of the time the static questions are really what get people to a moderate or a high risk um because it is like how many times you've been arrested um if you were arrested as a juvenile that puts you at a greater risk just automatically um if you've had more than x amount of arrests you're at a greater risk so um some of it they can't really change um, the social worker who was doing the compass assessment um, also pulled up like criminal history stuff too. So there was some stuff that they couldn't because you'd say, "Oh, how many times you've been arrested?" And they'd be like, "Oh, two. Well, really? Because right here it says you've been right. arrested ten. Um, so we did like we did some of that checking stuff too. The only ones that don't for compass um, that don't register as a moderate or high would be sex offenders and um, uh, OWIs. Okay. Because OWIs are not seen as a violent offense. Sex offenses um, typically are a person who has not been convicted of multiple offenses um, because usually it has happened for years and years and years without getting caught before Mm -hmm. something happens. So um, 
those were ones that we would look at as a can we do an override and get them into some sort of a programming um you know it kind of depends on on that too right um so with the programming did you think it helped people like i don't know um i think sometimes it was helpful Mm-hmm. Um, again, ultimately, it's kind of up to that person whether or not right. they were willing to make that change. Um, I, you know, we saw guys because we would be with them for three months doing groups, um, two three days a week. You know, we would see some changes, um, and I'm not sure if it's necessarily the groups that really made the difference. I'll be really honest. Um, it was always my notion to treat them like human beings Mm -hmm. um i worked with other people who were like nope you're an inmate you're not a human being i'm just gonna i'm gonna not talk to you like a person um and i wanted them to learn how to engage with people because they're all going to be back out in the community right how do you engage with somebody in a way that is respectful that you know how do you ask a question if you don't know the answer to something or you don't know who to go to um so my takeaway was i don't know if they learned anything from the program specifically but I'm hoping that a lot of them learned how to um, maybe go up to somebody and ask a question go up to the officers Mm -hmm. or uh, when they go out in the community like how do you know where to go and you know who can you trust kind of deal so it's hard I guess it's really hard to say Um, I know the Department of Corrections they base all of their programming on evidence-based programs and this is what they do Um, I think there's a lot of value in that Okay. So, but again, I think ultimately falls on if that person really wants to change. Right. Sometimes they do. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't. And, yeah. and then also just how the person running the group, the social worker running Correct. the group, how they interact. Because yes. society is going to treat them like a criminal if they know that's what's on their record. Yes. And then so that's all they're going to know. Yeah. They're going to think that that's okay to be treated yeah. like that. In all the groups I did, we did a lot of role play for kind of similar situations mm-hmm. like that. Okay. So you're going out for a job interview. Um, they're going to ask you about your criminal record. How, like, how are you going to explain that? How will you, and you know, you can get really mad about it. You can say it this way. And so we would role play a lot of that stuff because again, they're going to be out in the community. How are you going to handle that? Um, you want to be successful long-term. You need to learn these skills. So to me, it was more like just that real basic skill building stuff um, and interacting with people. A lot of the officers at the prison treat them like garbage um yell at them they call them you know they call them their number they you know they, they just try and make them feel as, as awful as they can um and i thought it was like you know what i'm gonna treat you like a human being so right. um you need to learn these skills whether or not other people are gonna treat you like that you know you ultimately can so i did a lot of that mm-hmm. probably more of that than like I said, I think this the skills were good also it just it's i think it's kind of a combination of both like i think the human interaction Yes. Positive human interaction. Yes. I actually had, I was the, the only social worker, so there was 11, I think there was 11 of us when I was there, and I was the only one, I had an open door policy. So as long as my door was open, if you wanted to come in and just um, just kind of chat, cool. I don't even, we don't even have to work on anything. You want to just come in, and I would put like fun facts on a dryer's board. So I'd have people come in every day like, oh, what's your fun fact today? And we just chat like, how was your day? Oh, have you heard from your kids? And I would have people come in, um... Because it was like there just there isn't a lot of normal interactions in a prison system. Mm-hmm. So come in. Oh, it's really snowy out today. You know, this you know, 
well, what are you doing? What are you going to do? Is it always Thanksgiving? You know, are you going to talk to your kids? Are they coming up to visit? Um, I get, you know, I got to know people really well there. Um, where they, I had one guy who would come in anytime I get a new picture of his, his kids mm-hmm. and show, hey, just want to show you this. Isn't that cool? So um, I think that, to me, that was more of what, if you're talking reentry stuff, that's really more what people need, right. um, especially the guys that had been in there for years and years and years. And you start to kind of lose the ability to, to have normal conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a lot of that stuff. Awesome. And then, so... When on the DOC website, they were saying how it went down the recidivism rates from 2011 to 2013. That's just what they had on there. Do you think that's because of like the programming being offered or new community outputs? I think it also depends on what they look at for recidivism. Like, what are they okay. calling? Is it probation? Are they counting probation violations? Are they counting just new offenses? Um, I do think the DOC is getting better about helping with that transition back into the community. Um, it's not great. I think there's a lot of work that they can do, and I know it's work that they're, they they are putting into it right now. Because um, typically what happens when someone releases at this point, if they don't have a family or friend or somebody who can pick them up, um, in Stanley, they would give them, I think, $15, a sack lunch, and drive them to the bus station in Eau Claire and put them on the bus to wherever they came from. Good luck. And that was it. Um, it was getting better where the social workers were reaching out to the probation and parole agents in that area. What does that look like? What about housing? You know, we were trying to do a lot of that stuff to help them so it was a smoother transition. Um, I know the DOC is looking at, at, at doing more and I think they really need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, to say, is it is it going down? I think it is going down. I also think the courts are getting, um, the courts are overwhelmed, and I think that they're not charging as much as they used to. Okay. Um, our courts in Eau Claire are swamped. Um, it is literally all day every day that our judges are seeing new people new crimes um a lot of times the district attorneys are just saying we don't have time to charge some of these things um you know i think it could be that some of the programming is helpful um i don't know that i don't know how you could say like what specifically it is is helping with that right um but I, i do know like courts Courts are overwhelmed. Meth is taking over. It is. I feel like it's all. All our courts are right now is just. It's just meth after you know meth and heroin around here, um, and you know, I think corrections is getting a little bit better about revoking people for stuff. Um, I had a couple guys in Stanley that were there for not paying child support. Um, you know, it's not really where that person should be. That person, you know, we had somebody in there for possession of THC. Um, you know, is this really, is this really the best place for these people? Probably not. You know, let's, you know, I think it, it comes down to a lot of the stuff. Um, I think courts are looking at more diversion programs now. Um, so treatment courts have becoming, it's been more, you're hearing more and more about treatment courts now, which could be helping some of that recidivism. So we actually, in the treatment courts now, we can take people who have been in prison um, and help get them some community-based stuff to save them from going back to prison, save the taxpayer dollars, save all of that stuff. Um, that might have something to do with it. I know um, 
counties specifically are trying to do more for the drug epidemic that we're having all over the place. They're trying to put more people in treatment. Um, so it could be that more people are going into treatment versus going back into the correction system. Mm-hmm. Um, the Department of Corrections is trying, they have funds for putting people in inpatient programming too. Um, so I think it's kind of a combination of all sorts of things um, that are, is bringing it down. I hope it stays like that. Right. <laughs> It'd be great if it right. did. <laughs> so it's, are you seeing kind of like a different trend in crimes? I think there is. Um, and the, the, when I was at Stanley, there was a significant, uh, significantly older population there. Mm-hmm. Um, guys who were 40 plus who had... Stanley ended up being, um, people just kind of got stuck there. Um, there wasn't a ton of programming. Um, when somebody was eligible for certain programs, they would get transferred to different facilities throughout the state. Um, Stanley ended up being just sort of a place where people just sort of landed and stayed. Um, there were people there for 10 plus years, just doing time, not doing anything, not doing programming. Um, so it's, they, there was an older generation there that just sort of, that this is where they were mm-hmm. because they weren't bad enough to be in a, in a max, but they weren't at a point where they were going to be anywhere near getting out to be in a, in a, in a lower restrictive one. A minimum. Why couldn't I think of minimum? It's a minimum. <laughs> and then a commute, there's then the camps. Anyway. Um, so there was just sort of, you know, Stanley itself was, was just, there was a lot of people that were just, they were just doing time, just sitting and doing time and, there was, you know, they had significant time that they had to sit. Um, I do know parole. People have not been getting paroled. They've not been um, reducing sentences. I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of a mess. Corrections is a little bit of a mess, <laughs> kind of, in a good way. But, they're, I mean, they are, they're actively looking at what they can do and how they can change programs, so... Right. It's just going to take time. And then kind of common with a lot of the charges that you've seen and the people you've interacted with, do you think that poverty or income? Yes. It is a huge impact. That has such a huge impact on the the people. And, I, you know, and this is one of those logically. I, underst- I understand why some people um, end up in the system over and over again. Um you know, there there are parts of our state that are very poor, that are, um, you know, there's a lot of gains, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And if you don't have um, the money to feed your kids, do I understand why you might steal from someone or steal, you know, steal food, steal money, mm-hmm. um, why you might be engaged in selling drugs? Absolutely. I get it. Um, doesn't make it right. There's a lot of areas that are real rural and um, people don't have access to the service that they need. So if you have somebody who's got addiction issues and you, they live in a place where there's just no options for treatment, you're probably not going to get the help you need. Um, you know, we struggle in Eau Claire getting people the help they need and we are a pretty decent sized city with a lot of resources. Um, but then I work with Chippewa and Dunn counties and it's pretty sparse and what do you do Mm -hmm. and so you know and that's just here we're not even talking about some of like the northern counties where there's just nothing right um so i think 
you know, poverty, people not having access to resources, transportation is a huge thing too. You know, if you don't have money to, you know, to, to take care of all the bills and all that stuff, are you going to have money for a car or for a bus or anything like that? Um, and a lot of people find themselves right in that middle ground of being poor, but not poor enough to get help. Right. And, you know, this is where you kind of see these people, like, um, a lot of families, a lot of single parents, um, barely making ends meet, but too much to get help from the county or too much to get help from any of these other resources. And so, you know, people feel really stuck and kind of go, okay, well, here's what I know. I know selling drugs. I know using. I know, um, you know, stealing. I know that kind of thing. So logically, it makes a lot of sense. And so I think that as a state, we need to do better about how do we get resources to people? How do we make sure that they are getting the the things they need? Um, parents are supported, you know, that kind of thing. So, And then also with that poverty, with the people trying to get help and treatment, are you noticing a lack of family support? Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, the, the majority of people I work with now are, are addicts. Um, in the prison system, it was probably, I don't even know, 30, 40% maybe had mm-hmm. addiction issues. Uh, in the community, when you're working with somebody who's had addiction issues, normally by the time they get to us, they have burned down every bridge between every family member, every friend, everything else, and their family has seen them, I'm going to get better, and then they don't, or I'm going to do this, and then they don't. Um, so there is a lot of, there's, there's, there's not a lot of people who come into any of the criminal justice systems with a strong family support and a good foundation. Um, you know, it is one of those things we have a lot of, I think almost, if people were honest, I would bet probably 80% of people in prisons have some sort of trauma. They mm-hmm. have been through some sort of life experience and um, they have maladaptive coping skills. And, you know, it's, it's really identifying what is that trauma how do you work through that? Um, I do think our prisons are getting better. Stanley had five, one, two, three, four, five, five um, counselors, trained counselors on staff, working 40 hours a week, seeing people, processing, working through that stuff. Um, we had a psychiatrist and a psychologist on site also. Um, so they could look at men management. They could really look at, um, you know, what kind of stuff are you going to need when you release? And we tried to help set that stuff up when they did get out. So you do, where are you going to get your meds? So if you're on these meds here and they're working for you, in your community, where is that going to be? How do we get you there? Who do we hook you up with? They made sure that they sent them with 30 days worth of meds to make sure, and that they could, and then helped get an appointment set up mm-hmm. within that 30 days. So, um, you know, I think, it, it, you know, there's, there's just so much trauma and then the families aren't supportive because they've been burned out by their loved one doing all of these things and then being incarcerated and being out of the family and now they're back in and then going back out and um, it's I think it's just very difficult I think it would be really great if corrections was able to do more of a like a family therapy sort of approach mm-hmm. because you know roles change especially when somebody sobers up or when they're you know starting to make those changes everybody's role shifts and it's very difficult for everybody to adjust to those shifts. And, you know, who am I if I'm not the spouse of an addict? Who am I now if, if I'm not the parent of an inmate? You know, right. that kind of thing. So it's, I think they, that that would be really great. I don't know if that's even remotely on the horizon, but it'd be great if it was. 
Mm-hmm. Or similar to how the treatment courts, they send them to Vantage Point downtown yep. Eau Claire. And it's called Family Relations. They have a family education group. Yeah, yes. Can't you bring your relatives? You can bring to anybody that. you want. Bring them in and kind of talk about what is it like to be an addict? What is mm-hmm. it like to, um, you know, to go through these things? And I think that that needs to be a really big part of somebody's um, journey mm-hmm. because it isn't just it isn't just about the person who committed an offense. It's not right. just about the addict. It's really about the whole system, and the whole system is changing and moving and growing and, and how do you how do you process all that stuff too so that is one of the favorite things i like about yeah. vantage is that they do this family education piece right i always hear so, such good things about it yes like, that way their family can get inside of what they're going through and then the family can get so they can say what they're going through yes. and it just sounds it's, like a lot of tears but there good is tears it is it's good tears and everybody that has gone through it and has brought family has said their family members really start to see things differently and oh I understand a little bit better right um which I think is really what as a community as a society we need more of that Mm because it's just not um you know everybody feels like somebody commits a somebody commits an offense lock them up and then we're safe well the truth is that that's not the case right um there are people in our communities who just aren't getting caught for doing whatever they're doing but also the people that are in prison are going to get out you know, they're going to come back into our communities. So why aren't we doing more to help them so they don't commit crimes again, whatever that is, you know? So um, it is, I think a lot of people like to go to bed at night thinking, yeah, we're safe because the bad guy's in prison. Well, that's mm-hmm. not the case at all. Um, right. And they're going to be back out. They're going to be in our communities. They're going to be our neighbors. They're going to be going to school PTO meetings. So, um, you know, we really do need to get the programming that works for them so that they can be successful. Mm-hmm. Agreed, because similar to how the guards treat them, if they come out and they're treated how they were in prison, correct. Why change? Right, and that's what you know, and it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. It gets really comfortable to just kind of go through life like that, and it's hard to make changes, and it's hard, and it's scary, and you know, so it, it is. It's a it's it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of good stuff in there, um, and then no crime or anything it doesn't discriminate necessarily it's not anyone can be affected and do you see community members treating maybe men differently than women absolutely um i think you know our prison we have what one female prison mm-hmm. um i mean you know it it compared to the the the, the ones that we have for men um, I do think men tend to be convicted of more violent offenses. Um, they, I, I don't know if they get caught more. It just sort of seems like if you watch the news, it seems like it's just, it's a lot of men and a woman kind of deal. I also think that, um, I think the violent crimes is really kind of the big, the big part of it. Um, but often we, I, we do say there are things that are very different between men and women. Women mm-hmm. um, generally have families. They have small children. They have, you know, all these other things. And our society is very quick to go, how can we help you learn how to do this better? Um, how can we help you parent better? How can we help you do this better? And men, it seems like our system is sort of set up to be like, 
oh well yep you need to be locked up you need to you need to, to go to prison you deserve this kind of thing i think that it really does need to be very equal um that we are treating people similarly you know i men seem to get caught more i think women are committing offenses probably just as as, mm-hmm. as frequently i just don't know if they're if they're maybe they're smarter and they're not getting caught i don't really know men do more um men take risks bigger risk risky behaviors i mean you, you don't really hear a lot about um women doing drive-by shootings you just i mean it's that men tend to be more aggressive if you will um and i think the women that are coming through typically is drug issues i mean not that the men don't have those but it's to me it's more of the, like the child neglect the, the the drug issues that kind of thing um and society really wants especially when you have kids society really wants to you don't hear like throw the book at the woman right generally speaking um people really want they want to help they want oh it's it's she's a mom let's help her let's do that and you know even if the guy is a dad it's just the the tone doesn't necessarily sound the same from yeah people. it should be right it should be very <laughs> even yeah yeah because if there's only one woman's prison that could be why because on the doc there's like maybe a thousand maybe ten thousand women compared to like twenty forty thousand yeah men it's significantly less significantly less um you know and it, it you know does kind of ask like why 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 is that why is it that you know why do men commit all these offenses or why you know are they being charged with the more serious offenses by court systems you know, versus the women, I don't know. I mean, I think that it is, and it all depends on the court system, the court system too. Every, mm-hmm. every judge handles things, even in Eau Claire, every judge handles things very differently. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's an answer yeah. someplace. I don't know Stuff what it is to think about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's some logic to it, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And then now you're just kind of residing in the treatment courts. I do. So the treatment courts, because um, I don't know that anyone ever really knows what a treatment court is. Right. Sometimes I kind of wonder if I know what it is. Um, in Eau Claire County, we have four different treatment courts. I always say that they kind of fall under the umbrella of drug court because when you talk about treatment courts kind of anywhere, drug court seems to be the one thing that people can kind of understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Eau Claire County, we have four. So we have AIM, which is Alternatives to Incarcerated Mothers. We have a traditional drug court. We have a mental health court. And then we have a veterans court. Um, I actually am the coordinator for vets court, mental health court, and I have I will have five people in drug court also. Um, I don't ever like to sit still, apparently. <laughs> um, so our treatment courts were a diversionary program to someone going to jail or to prison. Um, they come to us, whether it's new charges or they are on probation and their agent is trying to revoke them because they have not been successful on probation. And so we're kind of the last stop before somebody goes to jail or to prison. So if you can't be successful with us, there's you, you can't be successful in the community. Right. Um, what we offer to them, so it's a it's a program that um, is pretty intensive. Uh, typically, if somebody is doing really well, they can get from start to finish in about 13 months. Average is about 18 months for people. We usually have some hiccups in the beginning. Um, what they are required to do while they're with us is there's different phases. There's five phases 
in each phase there is a um, compliance piece so you have to be sober for x amount of days you have to be um, go to your programming you have to make all of your appointments you have to be drug testing so we have them test uh, they do drug tests random two plus times a week um, they have groups depends on the person but most people are doing groups three to four days a week they have court session which is actual court where they have to go and stand up and share with the court how they've been doing for the week they do that once a week they meet with me or the other coordinator once a week they meet with a probation agent once a week they go to individual therapy at least once a week um, they you know a lot of times these people are struggling with um, housing with finding a job with um, we have really great recovery coaches so we hook them up with recovery coaches we help get them connected to people in the community that can help with housing that can help with um, employment that can help with um, you need an ID Who's, mm-hmm. who, how do you get an ID some of these people have never had, um, had they didn't even know how to get an ID how do you, where do you even go how do you do that um, I, I generally tell people I'm teaching them how to adult like mm-hmm. how do you do these things how do you pay your bills on time we have somebody that we work with to help them with budgeting we have groups on healthy relationships um, a lot of the focus is on um, addiction but it's not just addiction I mean nobody nobody just starts using meth because they're bored um, right. there's always some some trauma there's life experiences there's um, you know that kind of thing so we're looking at the big picture and you know it is it is community-based um, if people are really struggling with their sobriety we do have options to put people on inpatient treatment um, in the area um, but we really do look at each individual and say okay so it's it is the addiction issue but you also have this other stuff what is that other stuff how do we help you because we ultimately want people to be successful and just good members of society so um, we do all of that. We sanction people when they're not doing really great. We reward people when they're doing really great. Um, I think the one thing, my favorite thing about treatment courts, um, this is probably the only time that our participants have positive interactions with a judge. Um, the judges get to know them. They get to know, they ask about their kids by name. They. Um, oh, how'd your interview go with that job? They remember, oh, last week you were in and you told me you were really struggling. How's that going? Mm-hmm. Uh, versus a traditional court experience where you're going in and the judge is yelling at you or throwing you in jail or um, taking your kids away. We have a lot of parents who've, whose children have been removed too. So their court experiences have been pretty traumatic. Um, and we then can get them in front of a judge and they build a relationship. They see the same judge every week the whole time they're there. Um, they really... they. They were there to to really promote whatever it is that they want to do. We're gonna encourage. We're gonna support. We're gonna like push them, um, drive them nuts a little bit too, because it's <laughs> like this is what you're gonna do, and I know you don't like it. Um, but it's a really great program, and um, we've had some pretty great successes. We've also had some people who haven't been so successful. But it's it again. It ultimately comes down to. Do you want to change? Are you ready to do it? It's going to be real hard. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is got to make amends with your family and try and figure out that family dynamic. You're going to have to get rid of most of your friends because most of your friends weren't healthy for you. Um, and you're going to have to battle uh, your addiction the rest of your life. And most people, it's like, okay, I can be sober for this amount of time. Well, yep, we're saying you got to do it long term. What does that look like? How do you do that? Um, and it's... I really like as difficult as it is some days because it will it will drain the best person on a good day 
um, we really make connections with people. And I had somebody who showed up last week. Um, he's got a learning disability. He graduated from Vets Court in the spring. I think it was the spring. Um, and he was trying to reach out. He's got some other workers at the county, and he was trying to reach out, couldn't get a hold of them, and they ended up calling me. He had a letter, and he has a hard time reading letters, and it was mm-hmm. an important one. Hey, can you just sit down and help me read this letter? Yeah, right. absolutely. Um, and so we kind of have an open-door policy for anyone who's come through the program. Um, we check in consistently, like, how, how are people doing? Come back. We have a picnic every year, which is really awesome, that we invite everybody back to. With prizes. We have prize, lots of prizes, <laughs> lots of good food. Mm-hmm. Um but we really want to make sure that, um, you know, it is individual because, we, again, everybody's coming back to our community. Mm-hmm. So if, if they go to jail, so the people we have, if they go to jail, they're coming back into Eau Claire. What are we going to do? We mm-hmm. want them to be successful. So if we can do that, and it also keeps them out of jail. Our jails are overcrowded. Our prisons are overcrowded. It costs the taxpayers so much money to house people. Let's... Let's do some proactive stuff. Let's help them on the front end so we don't end up on the other end. But, you know, it's just, it's a cool program. It's cool to see people succeed. Um, and it's, you know, it is a lot of fun some days. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of not fun some other days. Uh, but it's, it's just, it's really good. And I think it's kind of interesting to see, um, you know, from being on both ends. So have been in prison and now being on the treatment court to try and keep people out of prison. Um, I think we do need to be more of a proactive society and how we go about things versus reactive. Like, oh, you screwed up. We're throwing you in jail. Right. Um, jail isn't the solution. Prison is not the solution. Um, you know, it's, again, most people get sort of callous to it and they don't, it doesn't matter. Jail or prison, it doesn't really matter. They can do the time. They can come back out and start all over again. Um, we really need to give people more tools. we got to give them the tools to be successful for them, for their families, for our community, that kind of thing. And then to get someone into treatment court, you mentioned their parole officer can recommend them. Can they also get recommended by a judge? Anybody. Yeah. Um, so we have people who refer themselves, probation, judges, attorneys, um, county workers, family members have done it. It can be kind of anybody. Um, all of that is, and it's, we have our uh, online on Oak Clark County, there's a whole thing about treatment court. There's a referral right there. So if you were like, hey, I knew some guy, um, you can make that referral right away. Um, and we look, the the funding source that we have, we cannot take anyone who is a predatory drug dealer because we can't put our other participants at risk. Right. If we have somebody who's been a known drug dealer, we're not going to put them in with our, our other people. Um, and we cannot take... Uh, anyone who is a sex offender and we can't take anyone with significant violent history Uh, again we don't want to put people in in harm's way Um, but that's on our funding source we're trying to look at how we can do that a little bit differently for vets court because most of our veterans that are coming through the referrals uh, our veterans have served us they have seen some things Mm -hmm. that um, have made them a little bit more prone to violence or they've been encouraged to violence because of their training um, and so we right now can't take anyone with a violent offense in vet's court. We're trying to figure out how we can change that because I do feel like we could really open the doors and, and serve more people um, because our veteran of, of all people, our veterans should really get the, the services they need. Um, and again, we know it's linked to their military service. So and the trauma from and the there. trauma and the, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it's, it's a work in progress, but we're, we're trying we're trying. It's a start. It is a start. It is. All right. Well, I think that's all I have. 
Anything you want to add on? I don't think so. I've just talked for like 45 minutes. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm good. Right. Well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you.